All right, let, uh, my wife is gone this weekend. She's in West Virginia visiting her family, and uh, it has, like, thrown off my vibe all weekend and given me this, like, deep appreciation for single moms, single dads that have to raise their children. Uh, that is hard, and so I say this very genuinely, like, keep going, because uh, it is, we want to be a church that supports you. I have uh, two young boys that have been hanging out with me all weekend, and uh, the rainy day makes it challenging. So the fact that you are here, uh, you have won the day. So thank you for being here. And, uh, but with that, let me, uh, let me just again pray. Uh, God, I thank you for this morning, Father. I thank you, uh, Father, for the ability to preach your word, Father, for the ability to declare you, to declare compassion, to declare that you are a God of love, hope, generosity, Father. Um, today, we want you to... We want to say just that, Father. We want to declare your name, and I pray that you would use this whole hour for, for that purpose. We love you in your name. Amen. So I, uh, I happen to like social media. It's a necessary evil, if you will. Some of you are here because you saw us on social media. Thank you. If you're part of that Insta life, the Instagram life, like the teenagers in the room, like you're part of the Instagram life, and then all of a sudden, like, your parents started getting on Instagram, so you're still on it, but most of you have, like, two or three accounts, like, one account that your mommy and daddy don't know about, and then the one that's, like, the real account, and, uh, sorry. Uh, and so, uh, here are, I googled this week the people with the most followers on Instagram, and before you yell out T-Swift, you don't know T-Swift if you think she's the one with the most followers on in the Insta life, because she's out of that. She went... Uh, Insta dark, I guess. And uh, so the number one, number one in the whole Insta life as far as following, any guesses? Well, if you say or think Selena Gomez, you are correct with 133 million followers. <laughs> number two, and some of y'all don't know this, number two on the list, Ronaldo. He's a soccer player over, uh, I think he just got traded or new con, whatever. He's uh, overseas where football is real big, the soccer version of football. 121 million. Third on the list, Ariana Grande. 117 million. I don't even know, like 30 people. <laughs> Number four on the list, though, is Beyonce with 111 million followers. They are, a lot of them are doing things to gain those followers, to gain that reputation. Some of it happens naturally. And, and we understand that sometimes bad press can be good press, that, that we can be all about the wrong things and, and build a following from that, from that standpoint. But then sometimes that doesn't happen. Here's a picture of this dude named Logan Ryan, or Logan Paul that is. Uh, he has 16 million followers on the on uh, Insta, and uh, he was all about like Vine. I think he got his popularity through Vine. Is that right? You were correct. I think it's Vine. Something something youthful. I don't know. I think it's gone though. And and then he went to YouTube, and he was rocking the YouTube life. He had like tons. He was he was his whole career was based off of based off of YouTube. He's worth over six million dollars for just posting stupid idiotic videos making most of his money through YouTube and then he plummeted because he did something incredibly insensitive and stupid he wanted to go over to Japan where they have a thing called suicide forest 
posted a video where he walked up on somebody that had recently killed themselves and appeared to be making light of it through the video. And so YouTube gratefully or wonderfully kicked him off of their services. He plummeted. He had to, he had to deal with a hard truth that, that wasn't too, uh, wasn't a very popular, or what is a popular opinion that that shouldn't be joked with. People were, were, who were fans were speaking hard things against him. And now his fame in the social world has decreased. We're starting this chaos theory, this series, where Jesus now has been preparing for ministry. He's growing in fame. And sometimes when you have grown in fame, sometimes you're less and less likely to say the hard things because you want to protect your fame. You want to keep growing in fame. And so you become wishy-washy with truth. What we're going to see today is that Jesus doesn't do that. He's he's traveling throughout. If you have your Bibles, it's Luke chapter 4 we're going to pick up. Last week we were looking at the temptation of Christ. Now we're going to pick up, and he's launching into his ministry. The same power, the same spirit that was leading Jesus into the temptation, into the wilderness, is now the spirit leading him throughout Galilee where where he's healing. He's doing all these miraculous, awesome things, and his fame is is growing And it says that people are glorifying God because of him. He stands for something. You have people that are looking at Jesus as a wonder worker. You have others that are looking at him as the the Messiah, but they're looking at him as Messiah like he's going to come, he's going to be militaristic, he's going to, with his sword and with his chariots and with, with his power, he's going to overthrow the Roman government and give, and give the Jewish people freedom and they will, they will once again be back to the glory days. You have others that are starting to see him for what he is, Messiah for Lord, and others are just intrigued by his miraculous works. No matter where you stood, you look at him with some sort of awe as his fame is growing and reports about him go further and further. And so we pick it up here in Luke chapter 4, either on your app or in your Bibles. And he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So we'll pause there. You can keep it up on the screen. We'll pause there. So if you're, you're not familiar with synagogue, if you were, because this is like church for us, this would be like our version of synagogue, but it's not quite their version of synagogue. It's a little different. And so what would happen there is there would be this welcoming, this benediction. They would read certain Old Testament prayers and, or from their scriptures, and then there would be uh, prof, reading from the prophets, reading from the law, readings, reading, readings. You could have as many as seven people get up to read, usually distinguished people, that would that would read it and then explain it a little bit. And so here Jesus is as a distinguished guest. And so we pick it up, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He didn't pick it. It was given to him. He had to know the scriptures. So he didn't pick it out. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So, so because he's familiar with Isaiah, because he wasn't, you know, an Old Testament, like, oh, I know some portion. He knew the Old Testament well enough to be handed a random piece of Scripture to be able to uh, instantly start teaching on it. And the Spirit of the Lord, this is what he's reading, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. There was their custom to stand when you would read scripture and then if you were teaching you would actually sit down to then teach the crowd about that scripture. So Jesus is just is following, following the custom and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he pauses and he, and he plays the crowd. Put yourself in that scene. You, you're reading from Isaiah. Jesus is, is passionately speaking about a portion of scripture that was handed to him. And all eyes are captivated watching Jesus. And he plays the crowd, waiting, waiting. He plays the silence. And then, and then he, he uses that silence and he began to say to them this powerful, powerful statement. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people, people spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words and that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's Son, he just talked about fulfillment of a, a prophecy thousands of years old. He has, he has this growing reputation, this following, and he comes onto the scene, and he has the tenacity to say, today it is fulfilled. If you're in the audience, this is not a small thing. These are people that Jesus grew up with. This is Nazareth. These are people that are scratching their head like, isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph just whittled me a chair. Like, well, oh, he's dead at this time. But like, Joseph, Joseph made my kitchen table from back in the day. Isn't this his son that helped him with that project? Isn't this the one that was playing uh, soccer in the courtyard with James? Like, and he's coming here and he's saying, well, he's, he's Messiah? This is, this is Todd Frazier of Tom's River coming back and being the famous guy on the scene, if you will, who's turning Yankee fans into Mets fans. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm the fulfillment of the scripture. He talks about compassion, forgiveness, mercy. There's no evidence that Jesus ever literally set prisoners, captives free. So Jesus is talking about a spiritual condition, a spiritual issue where we are enslaved to sin. Wrong, wrong, wrong. And we can't get out our own way. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, I am the fulfillment. I am the release. I am the recovery. You want to sing freedom? Jesus is freedom. And he looks, he, he describes these people that are underdogs. I love that Jesus is always on the side of the underdog. Any of you feel like an underdog today? <laughs> this screams generosity, something that Graham had mentioned in the announcements. We celebrate generosity, that we serve a generous God, that we will be generous with our time, our money, and our skills. Jesus came onto the scene to be generous and not to be selective, not to say that I'm going to love certain, a few select people, but I'm coming all-inclusive manner to love all, to be generous with all. All who have this issue with sin can come to me and find forgiveness because he's abundantly generous. And so they see his words, this hometown boy, this hometown hero, and they marvel and they consider it to be gracious. Jesus starts right from the very beginning as he's publicly sharing to his, his hometown, I am a man on a mission. This defines what I am all about, showing and acting in compassion and then speaking compassion. 
They are impressed, but we're going to find out they're not persuaded. Mother Teresa, this is a quote from her, uh, do things that for people not because of who or what they will do in return, but because of who you are. She, she was in Calcutta, this, this guy named, I think, Leighton Ford, uh, tells a story of, of visiting Mother Teresa. Where he had a, a party with him, and, and she was delayed. She was helping the poor in Calcutta, the people that didn't have a voice, the people that were, were minimized, the people that, that, that were, were the, the outcasts of society. She felt called in to, to help them. And so, and so this, this guy named Ford and his posse come, come to town, and they find this very feeble building with this little uh, wooden sign, nothing, nothing glamorous, nothing glorious, and, and Mother Teresa was out doing, doing work, and since she was delayed, uh, they were able to kind of take in the scene, and, 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 she, and she comes to the scene, she apologizes for, for being late, and, and Mr. Ford instantly says to Mother Teresa, and it sparks up a conversation about the dying poor, and she said, how do you keep going with so much poverty and death and pain all around you? He describes chaos. And her reply was, we do our work for Jesus, with Jesus, and to Jesus. And it's what keeps it simple. If we want to fix the world, it starts with the person in your seat. When we look at the world and the brokenness of the world, it starts by seeing the brokenness in ourselves. It starts by seeing and recognizing that, that as I see poor and I, I see racism, as I see the, the disgusting acts of society, it's not for me to point fingers and say, here's everybody in the wrong. It starts by looking at my brokenness and seeing how I contribute to the problem. And until I recognize that, until I go to Jesus finding forgiveness, finding hope for myself, that's when I am positioned to go to the poor of Calcutta and bring them the hope of the gospel because the gospel changes everything and we should allow it to. The gospel, from the gospel should emerge compassion, sympathy, empathy, love. Luke 4 continues and he said to this after, after they're sitting and they're marveled and they're, they're looking at him and he says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown. Leave that up still for a second. Jesus understands as he's, as he's entering in the scene, as he's going public with his ministry, he's entering into expectations. They're looking at Jesus as the, as the home run hero. Again, this would be like Todd Frazier playing a pickup softball game. You would watch with anticipation that he's going to watch home run, home run, home run, because we've seen him do it at stupid Yankee Stadium and all those other places. Like, we've seen it. So now there's this expectation put on it that, that this better please better keep playing out. They look at Jesus and they say, well, he's been healing people in Capernaum. Jesus knows their expectations. They know, he knows that they're looking at him with this viewpoint. I want to benefit from you. I want to use you for my own good. If you did it in this rink-a-dink town, Capernaum, here you are in your hometown, Nazareth, Healer boy, you better start healing. Miracle worker, you better start being the miracle worker. We better be also able to benefit from you. And if you think through that proverb that Jesus quotes, doesn't it say that they're thinking that Jesus is a little sick? That something isn't quite right? 
But Jesus, in fact, needs to heal himself. Jesus doesn't need healing. They do. The better we know somebody, the harder it is to accept the extraordinary in them. So Jesus isn't surprised how this plays out. And then, in typical Jesus fashion, which may surprise us, Jesus goes for it. <laughs> he said, truly I say to you, a, uh, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But, but, but in truth, I tell you that there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was, was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon, uh, to, to a woman who was a widow. And there, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, only Naaman of Syrian. To, to say, to start this phrase with, I tell you the truth, indicates that what Jesus is about to say is going to be authoritative. It's going to be something that they better listen to. And he gets specific with something that you and I may not quite understand. But he's referencing some Old Testament prophets. He's referencing, if you're a Jewish person sitting amongst Jesus in the town of Nazareth, this would be the greatest, a needed truth, but a insult nonetheless. See, Jesus knew truth was needed to be said, and he expected the outcome. What's going to happen, I'll give you the spoiler now. They're going to try to kill him. But just because he knew the outcome, just because he found everything to be so predictable, he still spoke truth. What truth are you holding back from somebody because you expect them to come at you? You expect them to say certain things. You expect them to do certain things. Sometimes we have to ignore what we are expecting and still say that needed truth. Jesus goes right for it and says what is needed. And he tells them of this dark day where, where Israel, uh, they had uh, Saul. He was eh, not so great. Then they had David. He was awesome. And then they had Solomon. And Solomon started off awesome. And then he started really liking the women. And then it went not so awesome. And the kingdom was ripped from him. And, and it divided he talks about this time where, where the Jews were no longer following the one true God. And they started worshiping this false god, Baal, who's a storm god. So God, to prove a point, puts a spamming on them for years upon years. And they weren't accepting Elijah. They were actually coming at Elijah. Elijah's life was risked over and over again. He could have died at any time because, he, because the prophets of Baal, the the people of God weren't acting like it. They didn't like what Elijah had to say. So they were trying to kill him. And, and so he, he talks about this scene where it was, it was a Gentile, which would be an insult to, to a Jewish person. It was a Gentile that, that found, that gave, gave, uh, gave Elijah a home. And there was this scene where there was like oil in this lamp and it just kept miraculously being filled up because God provided through a Gentile to provide for Elijah. He used the Gentiles. Then he talks about Elijah and these lepers. That there were multiple lepers. And some of them were healed and some of them weren't. You know the ones that were healed? Were the Gentile lepers. Because the Jewish ones rejected, Jesus, or rejected Elisha. So he, he talks, of, he brings up the darkest days of of Israel's history when they knew that these two men were speaking truth they weren't willing to hear it and so they ignored it and it led to the darkest days of their lives 
Jesus brings that up to remind them of the scene before them. Know your history. You yourselves rejected the prophets of God. And it didn't work out well for you. And here you are doing it again. We have a history that we shouldn't be proud of from time to time. When it comes to racism, you can Google pictures of racism in, in the 60s, the 50s, or the history of it. And you could find Googled pictures of disgusting scenes of racism. And then we could turn the page and celebrate when, when Martin Luther King and some of his speeches and, and the mall being filled with people. We, we could celebrate certain barriers being ripped down and celebrate that because it's a good thing. And take pride that we have begun the process of getting rid of the disgusting nature of racism. But would we be so foolish to think that it couldn't happen again? And that it might be happening even still amongst ourselves? Wouldn't it be racist of me to think that I know what a black man is feeling? To, to assume that racism isn't happening? That's not my role. My role is to fight against it. And so I have to remind us as Tom's River that this is in our midst. You, I, I'll tell you how I know. Ocean County Department of Justice emailed every pastor in Ocean County, a secular organization, a government organization, going to the church because they see a problem in Ocean County. You know what their email said? That we are at a tipping point in racism. That the Jews are, are coming down from Lakewood, and they're, they're what they see on social media, what they, what they see with, with certain hate crimes happening or whatnot, that they see that we're at a tipping point where words are going to become actions. And so they see it as so bad that they're going to the church asking for help, asking for the church to speak against racism. And so it was an easy reply to say, yeah, that's easy for me because I know the gospel does not know Greek or Gentile. The gospel doesn't know poor or rich. The gospel is for all. And so if you live in North Tom's River and you have Jewish people moving into your community and you're fearful of what might happen and we might become Lakewood, if I'm just going to be as blunt as I can be. Why fear and act in your fear. You know what would solve the, the perceived issue? Love them and show them Jesus. Bring the gospel to them. Bring the gospel to Tom's River and allow compassion and love to flow through us as we bring the gospel. Jesus said the hard things. He loved and he, he acted in the hard ways. He calls them to look at themselves we as a church cannot be selective in who we love. We have to love all people that walk through our doors because that's the gospel. We can't be selective in, in race or gender. We can't be selective in the, well, this sexual sin, well, that's, that's not as, uh, oh, this, like, we can't choose which sexual sin that we're going to love and bring the gospel to. All sin needs the gospel. We can't, we can't downplay gossip over slander. We can't, we can't downplay anger over murder. Let's just bring Jesus to everybody and start there. And so this, they don't like what he has to say, and this is how it unfolds. When they heard these things, 
all, uh, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town, brought him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built, so that they could do this, throw him down the cliff. So being impressed with Jesus obviously didn't lead to life change. It, their admiration now has now turned to a lynching, to murder. But, <laughs> here's Jesus. But Jesus passing through their midst, he went away. That's, that's how the scene ends. <laughs> Jesus is like, Jesus out. And he just, he just left. Jesus came to save mankind from their sins, and it would mean that sometimes he had to say unfavorable things. What happens in this scene will happen over and over again for Jesus. He'll say the hard truth, despite being loving, despite being caring, despite being compassionate. It will make people mad, and they will go to kill him. Eventually, the, the religious leaders will look at Jewish people turning to Jesus and say, if you turn to Jesus, if you look at him Messiah, you're thrown out the temple. We want nothing to do with you. This will start costing people their livelihood. This will happen over and over again for Jesus, but he had to communicate great blessing and great wrath. As good as it can be, it can be that bad. And I want to share with you the goodness of all that I am, but you must know, if you understand goodness, you have to understand how bad it will be, and people won't like hearing the hard truth, and so they will go to murder Jesus. Why? Because truth is polarizing. That's our big thought for this morning, is that truth is, is polarizing. Embrace it. If you want to be wishy-washy, if you want to be gray, if you want to get the follower count up, then continue being wishy-washy. Because sometimes saying the hard things is needed, but it's going to be polarizing where some people won't like you. And we have to accept that because it's reality. So my challenge is, is so tough this week. I labored in prayer all week over this. And I'm still hesitant to even say it or let you read it, but my prayer is just that. Pray and walk away. That goes against every fiber in my body. It's something that I have had to personally challenge myself with over the last year with, with an individual that I have loved, but I don't really fully understand why it's gone south, but it's gone south. Whether it's text messages or emails or whatnot, I can't do right. And I had to get counsel over this and, and, and say, like, I've reached out, but every time I reach out, like, it just, it just, it's, it's, it's not working. And, and it's distracting me from this, the people before me, and, and, and the counsel that I received was, was a microcosm. Jesus walks away to continue on in his mission, to stay on mission, to re keep reaching the people that he was called to reach. And, and the counsel I got was, was from Titus 3. Warn a divisive person once, warn him twice, and then have nothing to do with the individual. Jesus will, will eventually say in the Sermon on the Mount, like, why, why are you going to cast your pearls before swine? Why are you going to take all that is good and cast it before people that are going to trample all over it? But then there's other passages. We, we say pray for one. Like, we're, we're in relentless pursuit of people that don't know Jesus, and that sometimes is going to bring hard times on ourselves where we have to keep going, keep going, keep going, and love them. So what's the difference? What's the balance? And I don't know. I do know if had Jesus lingered, the chaos lingers. And that Jesus had to walk away to end the chaos. And so in your life groups this week, if you're not in a life group, get this week, get into a life group. 
Because in your life groups, you're going to look at some of these scriptures and, and try to know, when, when is Jesus calling me to forgive 70 times 70? Like, continually forgive. When is Jesus calling me to be like Paul, where Paul was almost murdered for his faith, left for dead, but then he goes back into the city. And when is he calling me to warn a divisive person once and then have nothing to do with them? It might play out that it's going to look a little bit like this, where my, I have a good friend in the audience that is awesome at this, leaving a conversation. There might be somebody that you've been texting, and, and they're awesome at, at a text conversation, but the text conversation, they're relentless, they're hounding you, and you might just be like, chase it out, leave the conversation. Like, why linger in it? There might be, I, uh, the next screen is, is I use my wife's profile because I'm not actually going to block her, but there's this beautiful thing on Facebook where you can block people that are hounding you. Block them! I've had to, there has been numerous times over the last year where we, we like, Highly religious people will hound me over these, like, highly religious things. And I'm just like, this ain't worth my time. And if you're going to keep hounding me, I'm out. You're blocked. Because my focus is you all. My focus is Jesus. My focus is, is reaching the community that doesn't know Jesus. And there's all these chaotic distractions that can keep me from the mission. And so prayerfully consider when you might have to use some of those options. Because we want to be people that pray for one. Keep praying for the lost. Keep praying for people that don't know Jesus. And sometimes the chaotic situations that we find ourselves in, Satan thrives in to distract us from the mission at hand. And so my suggestions to us as we close is don't be surprised, don't give up, and don't get sidetracked. We can look at a chaotic situation and say, well, hmm, I'm surprised that sinful people are acting sinful. Don't. Because sinful people act sinful. <laughs> you might be the subject of somebody else's free will, and it bites. Expect it. Don't give up. Satan would love to throw chaos in your midst to get you to give up, to get you to get off of mission, to get you to, to just stop the mission, just to be like, I'm out. I've been serving in ministry, but, I, but I've gone through a divorce, and so God will no longer use me. This chaos is, I'm out. Don't give up. And then don't get sidetracked. Jesus, Jesus could have been on mission to save mankind from their sins, but had he lingered in Nazareth, he wasn't called to save Nazareth from their sins. He was called to save the world from their sins, of which Nazareth is a part of it. Had he lingered and just focused on Nazareth, he wouldn't have completed the mission. So the chaos in his life, he wasn't willing to allow the chaos to become the mission. So don't get sidetracked. Don't give up. We, uh, I'm going to invite Carly up onto the, up onto the stage. We do this uh, creative team meeting uh, every, I don't know how long. Like, we do it every now and again. And uh, we, we plan out these series. We look at the scripture, and, uh, and we plan out the series. We, we, again, we look at the scriptures. We look at, like, what's going on in, in our time. And, and then we always try to plan out, like, so when we did Joshua, we were, they were entering into the land, and we were like, well, that's kind of do or die. You're either all in or you're all out. And so then we also try to create a wow moment that would help uh, get people to remember what was happening in that scripture. And so your husband, John, was like, yo, I need another tattoo. And I was like, cool. Uh, and so he got another tattoo that had the series logo on it because if you're all in, you're all in with a tattoo, if you will. And so that was our wow moment to help remember it. Actually, in that meeting, I wanted a live tattoo up on stage. But God gave the team wisdom and yeah. said, Jason, you're an idiot. Yeah, we didn't do like, that. 
that's not like you're not you have no tattoos. It's illegal. Not, so that. that's not healthy. <laughs> like that's illegal and whatnot. So, anyways, so we're in this meeting, kind of looking at this whole chaos theory and the chaos surrounding Jesus. And I, w- I was like, I when I'm going through chaos, sometimes it's worship songs that get me through. Sometimes it's like this anthem that helps push me through. And so I just paused and I was like, Carly, no pressure, but could you just write a song? Could you and your team just write a song and make it an anthem for the series? Uh-huh. And you can take it from there. Right. He said that. And there was a pause. And then I said, okay. Um, but really, what I wanted to share with you guys about the song is as we go through these words, you know, over this this series, it's four weeks long. So each week you're going to hear a little bit more of this story. It's almost a full day, maybe a little bit more than a full day in the life of Jesus and just kind of the situations he gets himself into and how he gets himself out of them and just how he handles them and all these things. And um, we talked about that. And we're going to be talking about that over the next four weeks and really seeing, you know, okay, so when Jesus was surrounded by chaos, by the crazy, by all the noise of people saying things to him. Who are you? Aren't you Joseph's son? Like all this stuff. How did he respond? And one of the first things he did, we talked about today, was he stood strong in the truth of who he was, of what the scripture said. And he knew the purpose and the plan that God had for him. And that's what we need to do. You know, so a lot of these lyrics, as we sing them, you know, I pray that they do become an anthem for you guys. You know, sometimes when you're in your kitchen and the world is caving in on you, Sometimes the only thing you can remember is sometimes our song lyrics. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> happens to me all the time. So if that happens to you, I would love for the song to be something that you remember to help you break through and get through the chaos and the craziness of life and just focus on Jesus. All right. Let's sing it.